difference between a comedy gig and a hostage situation. And no, I can't. It's kind of like, just like, it's like literally you've got this extra voice going, and everyone at the end is just going, pat, 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 pat. Today on The Engaging Marketeer, I am interviewing a stand-up comedian and improv, John Cooper. John has performed at Manchester Fringe and Edinburgh Fringe and has trained people in businesses on improv and how that relates to business, marketing and selling. But John has also done something I deeply want to do and that's a TEDx talk. So I'm going to be talking to John about how he found that, how he does improv, why he started, and how he managed to do the TEDx talk without doing any improv when the talk was about improv. This is a really interesting one that you're not going to want to miss. It almost seems like looking at what you do that you were almost made exclusively for me because <laughs> you, you are, you're a graphic designer and yes. you're a comedian and yes. you've done comedy shows about Doctor Who, yes. about Star Wars... Yes. And, and, oh, about, yes. and, and about and about about WordPress. Um, the, yeah, the Star Wars one. I supported someone in the show about Star Wars. But oh, well, that's, that's I'm guilty of doing the show about WordPress. Yeah, but that, that that is that is very much my niche. The whole thing that you do seems as, as though you were made. If I could say, right, make me a comedian that appeals to me, that 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 would be you. But one one question I have is, how the fuck do you make WordPress funny? Um, how you make WordPress funny? Uh, requires dipping into a lot of metaphors about how stuff works and that show was written for WordPress fans. You have to know how that works in order Mm. to get angry about things like the WP Bakery page builder. (laughs) And exactly how you get that kind of response from people about how it's not a bakery how it's basically just a large lump of solid bread that is very inedible and removes any kind of joy from anyone's life at all. And, yeah, just just presses the hot buttons on what makes people excited and not excited. Uh, Nerds nerds get excited about this stuff, don't they? Well, yeah, you know, I, I did... When I did the show at the Manchester Fringe Festival... Um, I did one show that was like really well attended and one show that was just like a few people. And to be honest, that's kind of part of the course. Hmm. Uh, but in the quieter show, there was a fella down the front um, and he was nodding and smiling. And I was, like, I was talking about stuff and I said, you know what it's like. And he, and he just shook his head and I said, well, sorry. And he said, oh, I, I don't know what WordPress is. I just like <laughs> the name of the show. So a show that was written specifically for people who knew WordPress, he didn't know. Um but that was made virtue of by the fact that I then had to try and explain what plugins were to him. And everyone else was getting pleasure pleasure from my pain of trying to do a two-level show of, oh, getting angry about, you know, when yeah. plugins don't work and you have to go into the back end of PHP or my admin and change things. And this guy just glossing over and then having to come back and go, it's like, so you've got a car and the car's got an engine. There's something the engine's wrong. And like, like every metaphor I could possibly pull out my brain to explain to this man. And he was just chuckling away and no one cared. And I'm working my arse off trying yeah. to kind of explain. But to be honest, that is that was where the joy was because you know that's it's communication which is the the, the thing in it that's what it's about well yeah, I, I suppose everybody in the audience that was getting angry with you as as you were describing all the the, the things that you hate about wordpress and, and love at the same time they will have had to explain these to non wordpress people themselves yes yeah, yeah, so as like you're throwing these get, stories in yeah when you get a particularly intrusive plugin that says hey i'm just a plugin and all i do is add tabs install me and you can do some tabs and then you install it and it's kind of like but also install these things as well which are kind of like tabs and a conservatory and you know a spoiler on the back of your car outside and to to relate that to people is effectively like a man coming to your house to do your blinds and while he's there he has invited other people into your house to do the work that you haven't actually asked them to do that's that's what wordpress does it's like if you don't know what plug if you don't bet your plugins like your door-to-door salesman that you will get more people in your house than you asked for and they will be eating your biscuits before you've turned around 
I, I feel I need to see this show. I, I presume as well you've done something on a... This plugin works absolutely fine, and this plugin works absolutely fine, but when you use the two of them together, your back door falls down, or some, something along those lines. Yeah, basically that kind of stuff, yeah. you know. Um, and then I kind of, like, draw parallels between that and um, just just the, the programming stuff about, like, if-then statements and, you know, when you have stuff that goes wrong in your life and how you can fix it. It's kind of, have you got the right plugins in your brain to help you get from A to B and that kind of stuff. So there's a human element too, but I'll not dip into that because it's like you have to kind of see the show to, yeah. to go full. Because the, the theme of the show um, is historical. It starts in 2010 and actually goes up to 2020 because right. all of the WordPress-made themes are actually named after the years. Of course, yes, they are, yeah. So it's like, it's what's going on in my life over this decade versus the development of WordPress into Gutenberg blocks. So there's some clever stuff going on under the hood, but that's not that's not in the service of the gags. The gags come first, and then I mention the other stuff underneath, like is when it, this theme came out. Is this so a show I'm, that you, you're still performing, or are you performing it? It's, it's not, because it, it takes quite a while to... I, the original intent was to take it to the the WordPress conferences because you know you have the big gatherings of, of mm. WordPress people and kind of go and do it in the same way that when I supported One Man Star Wars the guy who did the One Man Star Wars show would go and do it in Edinburgh but he would also have good um, traction by going and taking that show to a convention obviously mm. because he's taken a show to the fans where the people are so you, you would basically go to a WordPress annual city, you know, like the Birmingham WordPress Expo or whatever, whatever it's called, and do that WordPress comedy show there because it's kind of like, is a WordPress event going to have even evening entertainment? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So, no. so you, you've got like a niche ticket to a to an event and a potentially solid audience built in. So that's the key, and that's you know that's that's not there's nothing clever about that. That's just kind of going. If I make a show about this. Who's my audience? You know, it's like your sales thing. It's your marketing thing. Who's my audience? My audience are very, 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 very specifically these people. How do I do a show? If I do a show, yes, I can. I think that's funny. But then, because you could go, well, who would the audience be for that? That's too niche. But you've got to know that community and know that that community run events and those events have audiences and those those events are well attended. Then you've got something you can take and put in that space. Mm. You know, um, same for Doctor Who, Palomine Toby who years ago did Moth Saint by Doctor Who Scarf. Um, when Doctor Who came back, he did that show, and he, he, it was a wonderful show. It was really funny, and he was in the right place at the right time to do that because the fans the fans were baked in, you know? Mm. So I'm wittering now. No, 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 no. I, I find it fascinating. I, I, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to have seen that performance of the, 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 the WordPress comedy at a WordPress event. I, I think that's something they would never have seen before or even thought was possible. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's anything, but it's, it's, there's, there's, what is it? It's, um, constraints beget creativity. When you give yourself a really tight, um, area mm. and you know enough in that area, there's, you know, as opposed to kind of sitting with a blank bit of paper and say, oh, I need to write some jokes. What shall I write them about? Anything is just too broad for you to get going on it. But mm. like I had, I'd never thought about doing comedy about WordPress, but, it's like then it's fertile ground, isn't it? Because it's kind of like who's not been there before. I did a yeah. there was yeah. there was quite a few visuals. So there was like a visual of this this bloke, you know, like the shady character where he opens his jacket. Mm. It's like he opens his jacket and you see inside and it's all the dodgy stuff he's selling and it was just like plugins on the inside of his jacket <laughs> that he was selling. And then I did a picture of um a Gutenberg block wrestling Jacob Nielsen to the ground. <laughs> who was like an old-school usability expert from the 90s. <laughs> and it's like, if you, you know, if you don't know the references, it's absolutely fine, you know. It's, it's just a, just one of those things. And of course, you, you obviously do the illustrations yourself because you're an illustrator as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was doing the illustrations, like, for that show. What, what, what were some of the things? It was kind of like um, designer, developer, web designer. It's like lawful chaos. Chaos, <laughs> lawful neutral, chaos neutral, kind of like chaos and whatever. What the, I can't remember the definitions, but I was kind of I was trying to map um, the various 
the UX and that there's that grid where it's kind of like lawful, neutral, chaos, neutral and chaos, chaotic evil and all that kind of mm. thing. And and mapping that to different kinds of developers who use different software. Um <laughs> and that's just proper geeky, proper geeky stuff. So, I mean, it, it is massively geeky. Being a designer is geeky. Designing websites is geeky. Comedy isn't so much. What? What? How did you get an interest in in design and comedy, and, and which which came first? Uh, design came first. Web based design, and then graphic design, and and then while I was doing that, that's kind of what I learned um, in uni, and then I started getting out and doing open mic spots. Uh, just because a friend got me into it. I was doing Amdram when I was a kid, like, briefly. Mm. Um, and then a mate just dragged us along to a comedy night, and they were doing workshops, and I started doing the workshops um, in Newcastle, where I was at the time. And and I loved it. And it's just kind of like that just became an extra thing. So I'd work during the day, and then, like, on a Friday night, I'd go and do open mic spots at the, at the comedy clubs. And it got to a point several years later where it's kind of like, oh, I love, I love this, it's really good. And then went up to the Edinburgh Festival, uh, did some mixed bill shows up there. Then met a guy who was an agent. He said, I'm setting up a, an agency. Do you want to be part of it? This was like, I'm, I'm condensing like four years into a sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, yes, brilliant. So I got a job, re- relocated through the career route of if I need to get to Manchester to start doing stand-up regularly at these stand-up clubs, because Manchester then was blossoming. We're talking like 2002, 2003. Yeah. It was like a real kind of renaissance in the comedy scene in Manchester. Lots of people coming to Manchester to do comedy. There was like six people from my neck of the woods, Newcastle, all like migrated to Manchester and they were all just suddenly popping up at the frog and bucket on stage every week. And I got to be kind of one of them for a while. Um, but I got a design job just to relocate and now I managed to kind of convince the boss to reduce my hours so that I could go out and do more. Then went and did an Edinburgh solo show and after that just went freelance. And I think there was a point where I was going to go, shall I go fully stand up at this point? Um, and I I didn't take the risk to go fully into stand up. I always thought, don't have all your eggs in one basket. So I kept freelance design during the day and then literally had like a three o'clock turn off session it's like three o'clock it's like no more design and then from then on it was like writing and performing so just and and that just became a practical solution to having two lots of it's kind of bread and butter both ends it's Mm. there's an old school phrase that it took us years to get rid of which was jack of all trades and master of none which i think is a northeast term and someone recently corrected us and said it's not about not being good at any one thing. It's not about mastery of one skill, which I used to think it was. I used to think it was a criticism that you couldn't master one skill. Um, but my modern interpretation is that jack of all trades and master of none doesn't really mean anything now because everything is about skill stacking. It's yeah. about having, a, certainly post-pandemic, the idea of having one specific skill that you only focus on is not going to help you in the long term. You've got to have more than one skill set so that if one suddenly gets massively compromised, you have another one to fall into. Yeah, so I've I've heard that exact same thing as well, actually. That yeah, it was always a negative, wasn't it? That you weren't good at any one thing. You're just able to do everything adequately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I've, again I've heard that that's flipped around now that no, actually it, it's a good thing that you can do more because you're diversifying. You know, you're, yeah, also, you're absolutely you're spreading diversifying. The risk. And if you, if you're able to then connect those things and find where the the value is that connects this thing over here to that thing over there you know comedy show about wordpress if you can connect those two things and put them together then you've got potentially a new thing or you've got a different way of attacking that particular subject um standard comedy taught me how to do good client meetings because after time of being kind of chatty and comfortable and getting on stage and doing stuff when I was a freelancer, if I hadn't done the comedy, I think I would have been a very geeky, awkward person to go out and try and, you know, get work off people design wise. Yeah. Because I, you know, the the engagement, the level of engagement probably wouldn't have been there. You know, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I mentioned to you when I spoke to you before that I've done a stand up comedy course Yes, uh, to do a, a charity event where I, 
I, listeners, I performed comedy and I won the event. <laughs> I am a Liverpool Comedy Festival winner. I don't know if I've mentioned that. Um, but I found it massively useful in terms of presenting, pitching, selling, doing one-to-one meetings, because the skills in comedy I found very, very similar to yeah. the skills in sales. Is that yeah. something that you, you, you agree with? And What sort of skills I, would, I would you say? I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. The ability to be comfortable and confident and have a little bit of resilience, because sales is about rejection and comedy is about rejection. And it's about being able to kind of pitch. And you're not, you know, you're not talking about kind of salesy sales. Like, yeah, I'll tell you something that's funny. You know, I've got some really good joke. Right, anyway, this is the thing. I'll sell you something that's really good and I'll sell you this. It's not about that kind of like cheesy, kind of like bulletproof, macho, toxic, ego, salesy, I'm the best thing since sliced bread and you'll listen to me. It's kind of like that's not, that's never the way I've approached it. And I'm not really comfortable with that approach. One of the big eye-openers for me that a lot of the comedy I do comes in through improv and that's the good thing that I'm a big I'm a big evangelist about the improv method of let the funny come to you um there was a book that I read I've been doing improv as long as I've been doing stand-up and that's group work and when I was learning how to sell and I was brushing up my skills there's a book by Dan Pink called To Sell Is Human and he really busts the mythology of the old school door-to-door salesman knocking on doors and kind of like, you know, talking something up versus social selling, which is what everyone does now. If you're into, if you're on Facebook or Instagram and you're talking about your life, you're into social sales. It's just people are selling themselves more, you know. Um, I've done a lot of reading upon it, the kind of the, the confidence, but you can also, because you can be like an ambivert where you can be introverted and still comfortably talk about your work. And if you get excited about it, then you can get people engaged and come to you about the stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, crikey, yeah, I'm waffling now. But <laughs> Dan, Pink's, Dan Pink's book, he gets halfway through and towards the end, he talks about uh, going to an improv class. And he goes to the improv class to learn about sales, to learn about marketing. Because that is about two people getting up and talking, communicating and getting on the same wavelength and getting on the same levels. And he's basically talking about it's not a one-way street. It's not, this is what I do and I'm going to sell it to you. It's, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what you want. I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to be quite comfortable about what I do. And then I'm just going to listen for an opportunity. And when there's an opportunity, oh, are you looking for this? As it happens, this is something that I can do. Can I tell you about it? And then you just back it back. So you're not actually telling them about it yet. You're waiting for another yes. And it's like, if you get a yes, okay, well, then this is the thing. And then they are coming to you. And then you're kind of, you're supplying a demand as opposed to kind of pushing stuff at people. And improv is very much about the the to and fro of the interaction to increase the engagement. And the more you listen to what people want, the more you're able to understand it. And then it's, it's it's the old school marketing thing to say about building a relationship. You know, it's kind of know someone like that person and then become to trust that person. And you do that on stage when you do improv. You have to get to know them and like them and then trust them in order to perform with them. Yeah. And that can be done in the context of a client meet. I always use a little joke here and there in a client meeting just to kind of go, hey, look, I'm a human being. You can actually talk to me about stuff. And if you don't like what I've got and you don't like this pitch, you can just say, I don't like that and I'll be okay with it. And it's kind of, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm not the right fit or we can look at something else. And, you know, yes, I want the sale and I want to close it. I absolutely do. But I don't, I'm not going to kind of say, you need this, you need to do this, you need to kind of have this and I'm going to sell it at you. It's, um, I think it's, it's very much about the soft skills, just bring it back around to what you're saying. Yeah. The stand-up comedy and those skills, the soft skills of, listen, are the audience laughing at you? Yes. Okay. Permission to continue. You know, are they not laughing at you? Okay. There's something that you're not quite doing. And usually it's, when audiences aren't laughing, it's because the comedian ain't listening, and they're not engaging the room. You know? Yeah, that that's the key, isn't it? Because that when when we did the, the the comedy training, which I would have happily paid for, because I think it yeah. was that good, I'd I'd have happily paid for that. And I recommend any business owner, certainly somebody that that, that has to sell their services, do this because it is so worth doing. All of the training was was improv. Yeah. And it was improving the the thinking and the listening skills and reacting to what people are saying, which is sales. So when yeah. you're on a stage, you have to know what your audience wants. 
and you have to give it to them. And if you're not giving it to them, you have to realise what it is that they want so that you change the way you're delivering it to give it to them. Otherwise, you're you're going to be crap. You're going to fall yeah. flat. Yeah. Exactly the same as sales. So I absolutely loved that that whole thing. But what? how did you actually find, because obviously nerves is a big thing with, with comedy or any sort of yeah, performing, yeah. public speaking. How did you first overcome that or did you even experience it at all in the in the stand-up context yes yeah. i was very nervous um i just kind of pushed through it and it's just kind of, I, I think I'm, I, I think i'm naturally a little bit resilient you know i think i think i have the ego to carry us through initially even when i was geeking i was dying on my hole i was like well i'm enjoying myself i don't know about you <laughs> oh you know sorry you're not enjoying yourself well because i think the, the advice that i got in stand-up was if you have an awful gig, get back on the horse as soon as you can. It's kind of like just kind of go go and run out a bit of new stuff as soon as you can and kind of get back on it because that's the best way that you're going to overcome that. And then like years later, smart folks like Sarah Milligan came along with things like called the 11 o'clock rule. If you have an awful gig, you're allowed to beat yourself up until 11 o'clock the next morning and then hit a reset button. If you have an amazing gig, you're allowed to big yourself up and pat yourself on the back until 11 o'clock the next morning, and then you have to hit the reset button. And and that's good. And I mean, now we have open conversations about like mental health. And back when I started stand-up comedy, we did not have that, you know? So you'd kind of like, you could die on your hole and go away and have a think about it and, and feel generally rubbish for quite a while. But um the, the payoff of the buzz when you do a really good gig, there's nothing like that. There's nothing, you know, comedy is, comedy is a drug. It's, you get on stage and you matter for 20 minutes. What you do is you are the focal point of the room. You are the attention point of the room. You are, you have those people in the palm of your hand and that is intoxicating. The adrenaline and the endorphins that fire off the back of that is, there's nothing else like it. And when you're doing it at a really high level, I think the highest audiences I've had are like 600, 700 people when I've been doing support. And you come off and you you are literally Billy Billbong, Billy, Jimmy Big Bollocks, you know, for like, for like the rest of the day because it's like it's, it's so overwhelmingly powerful. But you've got to kind of temper that, I think. So I did get very nervous. And I think now that I'm talking about it, there was a certain level of, when I started doing graphic design and the illustration work, I had my final exhibition show at university and I stood there next to the work and was kind of like, well, I can talk about it, but look at the work, look at the work, here's the work, look at it, like deflecting from myself. Mm. And I think it was all, almost a bit of that mentality when I went, I would go on stage, I would do my stuff and then I would come off and it's kind of like judge the work. So there was also a kind of slight filter of, not look at me and listen to me, which obviously was a thing, but it was like the, the, the work and the jokes are the things that you're presenting. So that's the product. So it's like judge the product and I'll remove myself slightly from it as opposed to kind of be it because if it doesn't work, that's when you're going to kind of get the ego damage and the hurt and the, and the negative feelings. Mm. So is this a good joke? Is that good material? You're criticising something you've created that's sitting outside of you slightly. You know, I think that can be a healthy approach to it. Do you know that that, that brought back memories then? Because I, I went to film school. Um, yeah. Before that, I, I did a diploma in art, and we had an art show just just like you've described. Um, and and I had a, a fair amount of art on the wall, and I had some three D sculptures as well that were yeah. created. I hated every aspect of being there and people going round and looking at it because I didn't want anyone to look at something I'd done and go, oh, I don't like that. That's not very good. Yeah. Because it was yeah. it was me. I put that yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. And it felt like a personal rejection. So I I, yeah. I, I left. I just left people to it because I didn't want to be in it. Yet when I did stand-up comedy, and I've only done it once, I've only got one experience to draw on, Yeah. when I was on the stage, it wasn't me. I was kind of playing a, a character, an exaggerated yeah. character. A lot of the things yeah. I was saying... I wouldn't normally say if I was having a conversation with somebody because you know it, it's an exaggerated belief. Yeah. So that's yeah. sort of a shield, as in if you don't like this comedy, it's okay because yeah, yeah. it's not me; it's something else. Yeah. D- does that resonate with with what you? Yeah, that, that, is, that is totally fine, and that's a very legit way. And I think a lot of comedians do that. There's that. There's talk about when you do stand up, you're a heightened version of yourself. 
you are a slightly different version of yourself. I mean, I, I do character, I do character stand up predominantly. My character is Danny Penson, and I started doing that like about five or six years after I was doing myself, just to maintain that level of dissonance, you know, between the product and the person. Um, and I think that is a that is a better way to go. Um, I mean, it's still you, and you're still going to take responsibility for the work and the stuff because it is your work and it is you presenting yourself. And it's kind of you, you're kind of like asking, you know, you're having your cake and eating it because it's kind of like, look at me, look at me, look at my stuff, look at what I'm doing, listen to me, I'm really funny, ha ha ha. I want your love, I want your affection, but I also want to put a filter between it so it can only be a one way street of, of me telling you what I think without you being able to judge me directly, which people kind of are. Um, I think it's a it's, it's a resilience thing. There was, um, I remember there was a comic way back who was taught, we were chatting about being bulletproof and and I didn't think that was necessarily the correct term to be using on stage. It's kind of like, you know, you, if you die, it doesn't matter because you're bulletproof. And it's kind of like, if you're bulletproof, you're not listening. If you're bulletproof, you're not able to take rejection because it's going to bounce off you, you know? Yeah. There's that, there's that kind of emotional... No, I'm not going to use the word emotional intelligence. I just have. That's not what I mean. Um, if if you're having a shit gig and the audience are not having a good time and you're wasting their time because you're not funny and you feel it, you probably should feel it because you need to take accountability for that mm. and own it a little bit. So to be bulletproof in that situation is somebody talking at people. You know, it's not you're not actually re- responding to the atmosphere in the room. Um, you need to be a bit porous. You need to allow that energy, negative energy, negative energy from the audience to come at you and hit you to kind of give you a bit of slap around the face and go, this ain't going to work next time. You have to do a bit better than this. You have to do a bit more than this if you want to do this and make these people laugh because this is what you're here to do. You're not just here to have a, you know, there's a difference between a comedy gig and a hostage situation. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, again, that, that, that applies to sales as well, doesn't it? You need to engage yeah. with people. If you're not engaging with them and you're just preaching at them, then it, it's just you talking for 20, 30 yeah. minutes. And, and, and I, I've seen that a lot more in the business space where people use the, the power of PowerPoint to just deflect, oh. you know, in the, in the most negative of way, just deflect, deflect, deflect. I'm, I'm going to put half the time they've got the back to you, the pointing at slides, the reading off slides. The text's too small, but it's kind of like, it's really valuable information, so I need to relate it to you. It's kind of like, and, and there's people at the beginning who go, can you send us the slides? And he goes, yes. And then they, then they switch off because it's kind of, well, I've got the slides and you're already boring, so you're not really needed. Hmm. You know, you're not, you're, not, you're not providing any worth. Yeah, and, and everything you're saying is written down on the slides anyway. So. Yeah, so we'll just kind of get, because you haven't been, because the person delivering it hasn't been asked to me- memorise it. I hate that. I hate it when people hmm. read stuff off slides. It's an absolute crime. Um, there's a friend of mine in Leeds called Richard and he's very passionate about performance and and uh, improv and he delivers presentation skills workshops and he does all this kind of busting stuff about what you don't do and he's a really smart cookie and he does it very well and watching him do a presentation is an absolute revelation because you just go oh, oh, that's how you're supposed to do it and it's surprising that he's, he's he's obviously busy. And in the pandemic, he was mega busy because a lot of people needed to suddenly learn how to deliver presentations online. Um, but when you watch someone at his skill level go, this is what engagement looks like when you deliver them to a group. This is how you keep things moving. This is how you keep the energy and the engagement. Watch to actually put on your slides and how to put the stuff on your slides and how to elicit a response based on what's on the slides and what not to do. And it's just an absolute... Yeah, he's, he's an in-demand fella, and it's fascinating because I I still see it week in, week out when I go to networking things where someone does a 10-minute talk and it's just crimes left, right, and centre. What, what, what's his full name? I'll, I'll put his link in the, the description underneath the... R- Richard Pascoe, Making Presentations. Richard Pascoe, Making Presentations. I'll put yeah. a link in that underneath the descriptions. I definitely yeah, want to check he, that out myself. Fascinating bloke to, to watch in terms of how to do that at a business level. He's very good. Yeah, because because when people do the the whole death by PowerPoint thing, it is energy sapping. Oh, when you it's see horrific. loads of text on the screen, you just know they're going to read it, and and you know right, this slide's going to be on for a good four or five minutes now while they read every point on it. Yeah, oh, 
this is awful. And, and I, I went on once where a guy was there to deliver part of the course and spent 30 minutes talking about his career. So he just talked about himself in an hour-long presentation where we had stuff to do. Half of it was him talking about himself. And that is someone who is, in my book, deeply uncomfortable about what they're trying to do, not happy about where they are because they feel the need to justify. If, and, and seemed like, and, and I'm coming in from a stand-up. In stand-up, you learn very quickly whether the audience are on board and you have to reply and you have to respond. You don't have a choice. You have to engage and you have to learn how to bring the energy back to you and engage. And this guy was just like, his volume was like volume level three, and he talked about himself for half an hour. I'm not going to mention who he was, obviously, or anything. And so like, there's, there's ways to fix that. But it's like, if people can't acknowledge it themselves or they don't know, it's like how, how you know, I worry about how far down that line people can get before someone has to actually have the courage to say, dude, this isn't working. Mm. You know? And, and depending on their all day. let's talk about positive well, I was going to say depending on their age experience and, and, and attitude that, that, that they may never may never take that advice because yeah, I, I, yeah. I know in, in a b and I meeting there was a graphic designer did just that he did his his 10 minute presentation and the right. whole 10 minutes was about himself right. and by the time he'd finished the 10 minutes he hadn't even got up to I think it was the 1980s because he was just going yeah. through his whole life yeah why i've seen that i've seen that in a few of those meetings as well and when you've got a 10 minute talk in eight minutes you just talked about and, and i hate to say this oh god I'm, i don't want this to turn into a bitching session that's why like, why not it's, it's, the, it's the theme of the podcast let's go for it i know well it's uh you know it's uh like it's well because when you when you have to do because you have to make a connection with people you have to make a connection with people that people don't know you and you're in a business meeting and you have to give her a presentation it's natural and good advice to say to somebody tell people about yourself first you know and then tell them about the work that you do and it's a very easy and completely understandable trap to fall into you talk about yourself you talk about your kids and your family because you love them and you can talk about them forever very comfortably it's an easy go-to and understandable one people are feeling nervous in front of an audience i'm going to talk about my family and my kids and then they've got energy and they've got passion and it all comes out Mm. unfortunately it's not relevant to the audience no. You know, as harsh as that may sound, it's not relevant. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's exactly what you're saying. They talk about themselves because to, to then talk about the work, that's a bit harder because that's when you've got to actually find your metaphors. And if you work in stuff like law or, you know, it's like, hey, I work in like, you know, employment law. How can I make that as interesting as talking about the kids? I don't know if I can. I can't. Well, that's where the that's where the work is and that's where the graft is. Mm. Tell us the stories. That's where you get into the storytelling territory. Yeah. It's kind of tell us a story about an employment law case where you helped somebody out and like what, what crap they were in and how you got them out of it. Mm. And that's a story about you that's related to the work. And, and when you say a good 10-minute talk, that's what people generally do. They tell a good story about how mm. they got from A to B. But, yeah, no, I totally relate to what you're saying about... The, the, the big problem, I think, is... I mean, I, I don't want to turn this into a, a pitch fest about B&I, because, obviously, I mean, you, you've been in B&I. I don't know if you still are. Yeah, I was, yeah, now. Were, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm dotting around various other I, networking I opportunities at the minute. B&I has training on how to do a 10-minute presentation, and one of the things they give you is a, uh, a, a structure for a 10 minutes, and it yeah. starts with tell everybody about yourself and yeah. your hobbies and your family, which yeah. is completely the wrong way to do it. And it trains people to do that. So we will go into that any further. Um, the, the one thing that you, you've done recently that I'm, I'm very interested in is the TEDx talk. Yes. How yes. did you How did you get involved with that? How did you get on that that process? Uh, I did TEDx Warrington in July, and this TEDx had supposed was supposed to take place in 2019, but then obviously it couldn't because of reasons. Um, reasons we I, can't think of right now something yeah, something, you know, something yeah the pando uh, so I, I applied for it then uh, to do a talk on improv and the benefits of improv uh, heard nothing and then it just got cancelled and then it came around again and I spotted on LinkedIn wonderful uh, person called Kirsty um, who uh, does lots of network and stuff in Warrington and she got the license to run it in in Warrington Um and I applied again. I didn't apply again. Correct me. Uh, 
I was going to and then get round to it because I was going to re-record my video because obviously my talk had changed slightly because of stuff that had happened during the pandemic and the way I thought about improv to adapt because I adapted a lot during the pandemic. And I think a few people, when you're going to give a talk, a lot of people now will give talks, will relate to adapting through the pandemic. And that became the theme of the TEDx that ran this year. Um, and she just nudged me out the blue on, on LinkedIn and just said, um, you know, oh, can, do you want to resubmit your talk? And it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll resubmit. Um, so I did and didn't get through, which I was a bit sad about. And then apparently someone dropped out. So I, like two weeks later, it's kind of like, you're in, you're on board. And But <laughs> even then, you're not on board because you have to go through the TEDx program, which is the speaker's program, because all they've done is heard your idea. Mm. And my idea was how improv can help you just not, not improve in terms of comedy, but kind of, it's, it's called like improv for life. Uh, and it's all about how improv can help you. Like I'm saying with soft skills, communications for work and for business and for not just for comedy, not just for being silly, but actually practically as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I went on the speakers program and everyone's at different levels. And, and the first few versions of my talk were uh, all over the shop. So I had a wonderful talking coach called Catherine Sandland, uh, and she gave us a few good pointers about how to clarify my message. And then gradually they kind of confirmed who the speakers were for the day. Um, but yeah, I, I just submitted as a, on an outside chance, but um, it was a fascinating, you know, I feel really honoured to have been picked for that inaugural event. And there's no secret source other than I have the idea, I pitched it, and I managed to be one of the 10 people who got through, you know. How, how did it vary doing a, a talk on a TEDx stage to doing improv or stand-up comedy? Massively different. Uh, it was a challenge. It was a really big challenge because I am, as much as I'm a stand-up comic, I'm predominantly an improviser now. So a lot of the stuff I do is made up, and that was a script and the script kept changing and I had to get the script in my head mm. and then that had to be printed out and given to someone who would be a prompter on the day. And that script also gets sent to the TEDx offices to approve. And I know through the the, the various, the you know, the years that I've been doing stand-up, even my own stand-up changes in the way that I talk about stuff because I can bounce around a bit. So staying on script actually staying on script was incredibly hard because I just don't do it. I just so don't. The, so there was there was no deviation on that TEDx talk. There was there no could, in- there wasn't allowed to be. You couldn't deviate. You had to you had to do you had to deliver the script that was there. There was one bit in my talk where I talk about the brain and I throw three random words out because it's not really relevant what those words are to the talk. And that was the only kind of like little um oasis of made up stuff that I could do in the context of that 10 minutes. And the rest of it, I had to hit the nails on the head in the order that they were given. And wow. actually, as a tightening up experience, it was it was really good because I can lock, I can watch it back and actually go, crikey, who is that guy? Who's that guy doing <laughs> that, that talk? Because you see yourself doing it and you go... I mean, I've seen myself do plenty of improv and it's kind of like, it's it's in, the thing with improv, it's in the room. So the energy and the fun's in the room. And sometimes a lot of that doesn't always translate well to a recording because it just looks like a load of people doing daft stuff, which it is. But like, if you're in the room on the day, it looks fine. Um, whereas, yeah, I was very pleased with what I did on the day and it's, it's helped me a lot kind of, okay, I kind of know who this guy is you know, going going from my old Danny Pence of life to this new mm. speaking and engagements thing that I'm slowly gravitating towards. It kind of ha- it helps as a jumping off point. Really. I've, I've I've watched your TEDx talk. Thought it was brilliant, by the way. Cheers. It's re- really insightful, and, and and I've shared elements of what you've talked about on that TEDx talk about the how the improv works in in communication for business cool. with with others as well. But when I saw you do that talk. Obviously, because it's so structured, unlike what comedy or, or improv would be, um, it didn't look like there was any feedback from an audience if there was one while you were doing it. Whereas, obviously, in comedy, you've got that constant feedback from the audience, which gives you yeah. energy and impetus yeah. to, to go on. Was that difficult to do with how, having 
audience feedback on essentially you're doing gags and no one's laughing? That is a really good question. That is a very good question. There was an audience. Uh, there were no likes in the audience, so you couldn't really pick up on their responses. But saying that, the nature of the event being that it wasn't a comedy league, I just baked in, get the laughs. You know, it's very hard to just go, it's oh, it's like, you know, as much as I'm telling myself, it's all right if they don't laugh. This is a talk. But it's kind of like the, the lack of laughs is, yeah. you know, big, big red flag, failure, not laughing, not engaging. It's kind of like muscle memory of the fear of, you, you're not doing. There's something you're not doing right because you're not getting the response that you've been getting for years. Mm. And yeah, that was tough. And I think there's a reason that when you say, I mean, I'm speaking at speed in that talk because that's kind of the level of speed that I would kind of normally talk. And I was aware of they were saying slow down, slow down. It's like okay, I'll slow down. And actually, that was that was a bit of a relief to slow down, even though it kind of took a bit longer to get from A to B. Um, but yeah, no, that was a thing because there was there was various points in that. There's certainly one bit that I can watch back where it's kind of like if there was a place where I'd want to laugh, I know where it would be, and then there wasn't a laugh, and it's kind of like you just have to make your peace with the fact that like this, the energy in this room is not designed for that. It's not that kind of event, mm. you know. So just make your peace with it. Um, so yeah, that was that was tough. That was hard because it's like I wanted, and it's it's hard because you go well. Obviously, it wasn't funny enough, and it's kind of like it wasn't that kind of event. You can't make the. It's kind of like for the next ten minutes, we're going to turn this talk into a comedy night, and so you can laugh wherever you want. It's kind of like you can't do that. It doesn't work no. like that. Like, again, I think it's just a a, a, resi- a little bit of a resilience test. Mm. So did did, did you did you have that internal voice that when you delivered that line and you thought there's no laugh. That's saying improvise. Yeah, go after that laugh. I just well, it's I I used it as because I had so much else going on in my head about you can't you like there there was bits where during that talk where it's kind of like oh oh say this thing oh oh there's a thing oh you Mm. could just oh you could it's like no I can't it's kind of like just like it's like literally you've got this extra voice going. Stopping you from kind of like just going off here, there, everywhere. If I said this thing, they'd laugh now. Can I get away with this? Kind of, no, you can't. That's like, you know, the the, the, oh. the joy of skilling up to a certain degree. And I don't want to blow trumpets or blow me blow myself out of proportion. If when you get so good at improv and you work on the muscle regularly, you can almost have like a little backseat driver. It's kind of like, right, I'm going to do this bit. And then you've got the other voice telling this kind of like, this is, this is the bit that's actually coming out of your mouth now. And this is the <laughs> bit that's on and coming on in your brain that's coming up. And this, this unhelpful voice is the one that's telling you where else you can go. And it's like, just shut up. I've got to remember the order of these words. And just bringing it back to, I so know what I'm going to say it, In here, it's hilarious. The stuff I want to say is hilarious, but you lot, you lot, I'd, I'd be so tempted. To, you're doing it on improv. You're doing a talk on improv, and you're not allowed to to do improv. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that Alanis Morissette. That is ironic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's massive. It is massively ironic that it's a not un, un, Having said that, I have watched because when I pitched my talk, I went and watched a load of other TEDx talks on improv. And quite a few of those people get up and they do improv. I love improv. Anyone who does improv, on, if, if anyone who does improv, I respect them massively. Do it, show it off to the world, tell everyone. But in some of those TEDx talks, actually doing improv on stage is not helpful mm. because you're talking about process and you don't know if a bit of improv is going to go great or it's not. You know, so there's one or two of those where people get up and just do some improv for the sake of doing improv to show you it. It's kind of like it's. I think it's more valuable to explain why you do it and the how of it than actually doing it because the doing it is helpful for the people on the stage, not the people in the audience. The people in the audience want want to understand why the people on the stage are doing it, as opposed to them just doing it. You know, there's a there's a big difference. Um, there, it's kind of like, hmm, it's like, what does chocolate taste like? Well, we'll eat some and tell you, as opposed to giving you some chocolate and you can eat it and see yeah. what it tastes like for yourself. You know, it's like in my head that that's it's, it's a very simple equation, really. <laughs> 
And and obviously, you you actually go into businesses now and you teach improv in in workshops. What what's the theory behind you you doing that? And what what sort of people have you helped? Uh, I, I pivoted a few years ago. I was teaching stand up comedy, um, and obviously, as you already said, you do a stand up comedy workshop, and a lot of the exercises you do are the kind of brain ones to get your brain going. You do improv to kind of fire those neurons off. Um, so I go out and teach. When I was teaching stand-up comedy, I realised there was people coming to those courses who did not want to be stand-ups. They were just wanting to get better at stuff. So mm-hmm. I pivoted into presentation skills to teach presentation skills and a bit of team building using comedy. And I used the comedy angle. It's kind of like, he's, he's, he's some presentation skills coming from the world of stand-up. And people are like, oh, coming from the world of stand-up. That sounds a bit scary. And it's just explaining it so so yeah I, I do presentation skills that's how we ended up meeting Richard who I mentioned earlier mm. was he does presentation skills coming from a slightly different angle and I I do it through like like, like let's talk about the presentation as if it was a an open mic comedy set where you're coming on and you're telling a few jokes about the product or service that you're selling and then you're telling a story about the client and then you, you know you're engaging in that way that you know where the audience is engage me tell me something get me interested make me interested what is it about the thing that you do that's interesting and sometimes you have to you know you have to really unpack stuff with people because then they know this they know the product or the service invite out but if they've been doing it for a long time there's some stuff that they might have forgotten or they might need to re-engage with themselves about why they love the thing that they do or why they why they don't love the thing that they do or, or just to kind of remember that Oh yeah, there's a bit. I remember the time when this this happened and that happened. And sometimes it's a negative story, and it's kind of like a negative story can be good if it's got a positive ending because people actually like to hear about how people got pushed through the ringer. And then eventually, at the eleventh hour, Jim got a number twenty seven spanner and a number twenty two socket, put them both together, and fixed it just like that. And since then, that's how we've done boilers. And it's like you know that that kind of story is you're hearing the adversity and I think some companies can be resistant to telling the stories of adversity because it's not success you know but people just don't want to hear about you being constantly success they want to hear that kind of the pain points that got you to where you are so it's yeah. just finding ways for them to engage which, which, which in, interestingly the, I was going to say the, 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 the triumphing over I can't even say the word the triumphing over adversity that, that, that's one of the key elements to selling from a stage yeah because you yeah, take yeah. people on the journey with you about how you were struggling and how you resolved it and how you got through it and that's how you build trust in your yourself so that yeah, is a really yeah. useful skill to have in a, in a presentation point of view yeah yeah and I think there can be a bit of a misconception certainly you know Western comedy, uh, when people get on stage and do stand-up, often very victim-based, you know, someone someone suffered. It's kind of, we're going to have a joke at somebody's expense, mm. you know, and kind of workplace humour can be very much, let's have a joke at somebody's expense. But when you tell a, a, a story of suffering with a positive outcome or you look for it or you put humour into that uh, and find the positive way out, it's kind of like uh, reinforcing and collaborative and, you know, that when you when you find the way in to whatever happened, that's what we often look at in like the storytelling element of a workshop. We look look at the story from various different angles because where there's a victim, there's usually a hero, you know. And if we can find the hero and what they came up with, then it's kind of we don't focus on what went horribly wrong. We reference it, but then we push to the positive and push to kind of like how we got out of that. And sometimes it requires a little bit of tweaking, but. It is just how you look at it, how you reframe the product, service, the story, the thing that you do in order to make it like like a standard comedian would do, you know? It's kind of like they could have an absolutely awful day, but they'll find a way to make it funny just through looking at it and looking at it and rewriting it and doing it. It's like Sean Locke was really good at that. You know, there's loads of comedians who were very, very good. Jim Jeffries is amazing. At, um, Jason John White had a lot of the people who were on the Manchester circuit when I started, that was two of them. Um who were just telling crazy, crazy stories that if you took the humour out of it, it would be like the worst <laughs> thing ever. But from a comedy point of view, it's amazing. But you've just got to find that the twist that makes it not victim-based. 
Yeah. And, and when you go into organisations and do this, presumably you're, you're brought in by somebody running the organisation, how receptive are people in there if they, they don't necessarily know what's going to happen? Uh, they're usually pretty good. I mean, so often you'll have someone who's a fan on the inside. They've seen comedy or they've done some improv or something like that. Um, I network like Billy O, really. I do a lot of networking to get out there and be seen to be doing. And the TED Talk we did recently has helped quite a lot because I think it's, it's important to not just go, I do this, but say why I do this and kind of piece the evidence of, of why I do this, mm. you know, and have people find you. And that comes back to that social selling thing we were saying earlier. It's kind of like you, with, with this kind of stuff, you have to practice what you preach a little bit. You know, you have to try and make yourself engaging because there's nothing worse than going, yes, I'm going to do doing a presentation skills course. That's a rubbish presentation skills course about presentation skills. It's kind of like, you know, another horrible catch 22 that you could get mm. caught in by not doing something well when you profess that the thing that you're doing is what you do. So, uh, you know, that's that's a trap you can fall into. So, so yeah, I think it's just, yeah, well, it's like anything. It's like it's, the sales message has to get out there. So a lot of time is spent on social media and face-to-face actually getting out the stuff. And we mentioned networking. Some of the networking I do Manchester with is a thing called Fresh Walks, which is like an outdoorsy networker where you just right. go and walk with folks. And that is genius because it's super low-key, no marketing, no salesy, actually just meet people. You know, just take your business head off and get some good mental health activity going on where you're just out in the wilds and you just chat to people. And that's generated work for me, and it's generated work for me by not thinking about work. Mm. You know, just actually just being a human being and talk to people. And there's a lot to be said for that, and I find that hard because, you know, if you're, if you're a business person who's a freelancer or a business person looking to do sales, you're always going to be in sales mode. You're always looking for the next opportunity. So actually just putting yourself in the environment where it might happen, but not focusing on it too hard, you know, that just takes, that's just graft. That just takes time. You've just got to get out and do it. Hmm. Really. No, it's, that, that's interesting. There's a couple of um, groups around local to me, actually, which are specific on walking, on just getting out of the office and walking because yeah. you, you do, you, you think better when you're walking. Yeah. You, you, you do I more agree. creative I agree thoughts. with that. When, when you're moving around, there are certain endorphins in your system that, that really do, that much more conducive to you thinking creatively mm. in terms of what you're doing. Yeah, no one has creative thoughts sat at a desk. Well, you know, yeah, you, you, you can. I think it's just harder, you yeah. know. But the, the real inspiration strikes you elsewhere, in the shower, walking, in the car, wherever. If you yeah, sit at I a desk and go, that. right, I need to be creative now, it's not going to work. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And that's why I pull, pull it back around to improv, because that's quite an active thing. You, you, when you're doing it, you're actually, you're up and you're moving around and you're talking to people that are engaging. You are actually, you know, a lot of the warm-up games where we do improv are like, movement-based games where we ask people to move around and it's just like because because of what you want to do is you want to change the energy in the room mm. you know the worst thing you can do is just start with a powerpoint when everyone sat down because <laughs> yeah. the, the, it's like the what, what's what's this is this a thing but if people have moved around a bit mm. um we did a we did an improv session at sheffield hallam with a friend of mine kate and she ran it the other week and it was amazing. And I had a really, there was like 100 people in the room. And we had a 100 person game of uh, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> and that was the most amazing thing I'd seen. I'd never seen that run before. And she did it. And the person who won was this old lady called Pat, who'd been on staff for like however many years. And everyone at the end is just going, Pat, 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 like that. And it's kind of like, after you've had 10 minutes of 100 people playing rock, paper, scissors, until one person wins. That's like the energy in the room off the back of that. It's like, okay, what's next? Well, next is the next thing we're going to do. And the, the energy is just there. And it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't you start with that? You know, anyone who looks yeah. at that stuff and goes, oh, well, that's just a kind of, where, where's the real serious thing that we're going to talk about now? It's just kind of like you need to pull the rod out of your bum and get on with the act. You know, it's like you, you, you need to be active to take stuff in 
and give your best ideas out. And I totally agree with that. I think that's, mm. you know. Yeah, it's it's like as a small thing that I've done recently because I know a lot of people do this and it works. When you're doing webinars or online presentations, yeah. actually don't do what we're doing right now. Stand up. Yeah. Reposition yeah, yeah. your camera. Stand yeah. up because it gives you so much more energy when you're yeah. doing it than just sat down at a desk and talking into a camera and a microphone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the skill to be able to to be able to sit down and engage is hard work. You know, I've seen people like like Richard do it really well, and it, and it does involve. He, he talks a lot about energy, good energy, have energy, give good energy. You know, you can't just um, and it's you've got to have the environment for it as well. I mean, it's it's early days with this stuff, and my knowledge isn't brilliant, but it's like you have to have the right kind of space, and not everyone has it. And you know, if you've got like a dog, or you've got kids, or you've got other people in the other room. You kind of you, you're compromising how you can behave a little bit on on the mic because you don't want to be kind of like shouting or talking quite loudly <laughs> because you're interfering with people. I I can totally because I've got you know access to this whole space. I'm in my lounge and there's only me here at the moment, mm. so it's that's fine. But I, I I make sure that when it's just me in the room, I can engage to the level that I want, and anyone else can just go, oh, yeah, it's just him doing his thing. You know, it's like people are aware that that energy needs to be there on camera for, for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, do you know, I've I just, I just noticed the time. We're, we're, we're fast running out of time. I, I could talk to you about improv and, and, and comedy and stuff. But we, haven't even, we, haven't even mentioned, we haven't even mentioned illustration, really. We haven't even talked about your design, which is the, the, the bread and butter of your business, isn't it? Yes. Uh, design, illustration stuff. Uh, started doing speed portraits as well. Speed uh, portrait? What? It's uh, drawing people. I've, I'm, I'm going. To, I'm, I've been asked to do an event uh, for Christmas, which is in the middle of town. It's basically uh, drawing drawing people at speed. Right. And uh, yeah, that's just. I do a few things. How, how's that? I've, I've done a bit of art, and I, that that sounds very difficult to me. It's it is difficult, but I'm, I've done illustration, and again, it's kind of like it's again I'm relating it back to the beginning where you find the WordPress show. It's kind of I do illustration. I'm comfortable performing and being watched. Can I draw and be watched comfortably at the same time <laughs> and not worry if I draw a picture of someone that goes wrong? And it's you know it's like if I if I did just want if I did just illustration and I didn't perform, the idea of trying to do speed portraits. Would be terrifying, and I'd probably say no. But you know, it's the, the that resiliency thing where it's kind of like, oh, I'll give it a go and see if it works, and then I give it a go, and it's kind of like, now there's a few people. I think it's called live scribing, is the other thing where you kind of draw, draw events. You right. Know? Oh, right. Like, well, they're like um, a courtroom artist. Yeah, well, kind of like that. It's sometimes it's more text based. You get them at conferences where it's folks at the back of the room and they've got like great big bits of paper and they cap- capture the event as it happens. So it's kind of like, you know, diversity and, and influence and all that kind of thing, where they mm. draw them. And oh, right. Yeah. yeah so when, when are you yeah. doing the speed drawing? When, when's that happening? Next speed drawing I'm doing is in the middle of Manchester with a gang called Overdrawn. Um, and that's fun. And it's good because, like, it's, what it does is help me promote my illustration work because people mm. – it's, it's very kind of Instagrammy because it's kind of – it's a live event. So people will come along and you can draw them and they'll Instagram them and you Instagram them and everyone's Instagramming, everyone's Instagramming everybody else. <laughs> so you get this kind of little flurry of stuff. And, you know, off the back of that, somebody will go, oh, do you know an artist? Do you know an illustrator? Oh, this guy was doing this thing and a thing and a thing. So it's like, you know, it's not a networking event, but it's a very visible visual event. It's a marketing exercise as much it's, as it is it's, it's it social about. selling again the, the ultimate in online exactly, social that, selling that is exactly what it is that's exactly yeah. what it is brilliant um, so if, if somebody wants to get in touch with you as, as a final point either for your illustration work or for speaking workshops comedy improv yeah. what's the best way for someone to get in touch the uh, best way is john at johncooper.org.uk which is email or my social media handle is johncooper underscore uk and that's my Insta and my LinkedIn, um, and just just type type in John Cooper. You'll get the band player from Skillet. You'll get John Cooper Clark, and you'll get the serial killer from Yorkshire. And if you scroll past all of those, you'll get me. <laughs> and you're an amalgamation of all three of those. Yeah. <laughs> 
Apart from the serial killer. <laughs> apart from, the, apart from the, for legal reasons, I have to state that John is not a serial killer. No. I'm that not. I'm aware of. So that, there we go. Right. Thank, thank you very much, Thanks, John. Barry. Absolutely appreciate that. Thank you for being on the podcast. I've, I've had real good, real good fun talking to you. Nice one. Thank you. Take it easy.